and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Right then, employee engagement is an enabler of creativity, innovation. We, we know that. Without engagement, creativity and innovation are suppressed and stifled. But some of the most engaged businesses still struggle to consistently deliver innovation effectively in their business. It's also, I think, probable right now, fostering a culture of creativity and innovation has has never been more important as the world continues to crack on around us at a furious non-linear pace with increased hyper competition and ever emerging new markets so what's needed to win and why do so many businesses fail in this quest to build such a culture well i'm joined today by chris bezik who's the co-founder of Outcome, a boutique innovation advisory firm, and also the best-selling author of Building a Culture of Innovation, a practical guide for placing innovation at the core of your business. He's a leading thinker and strategic advisor on innovation, leadership, and culture, and has also been described as the David Blaine of innovation, which I think is fantastic. So hopefully he can perform some miracles for us today. And there's no one better I can think of speaking with on this topic than Chris. Morning, Chris. How are you doing? Morning, Andy. I'm I'm really good. Do, do you know what? The, the, the irony about that comment is the person that um, made that, that comment, he was a client at the time and he's now a really good friend. He's actually one of the probably one of the best thinkers on employee engagement that I, that I know. <laughs> so this is a brilliant guy called Perry Timms and, um, and he just lives and breathes people and engagement and stuff. And, and it was him that made that comment while I was a client of his. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, I must, yeah. I must, must look him up because he sounds Get like Perry he- on this show. He is, um, if there's anyone that can work magic, it's Perry Timms. I will look him up. I look forward to that. So Chris, this area of innovation and culture, I mean, that's that's a big, broad beast of a thing. What are you what are you up to currently? What are you working on? Do you know what? There's there's a whole host of things, and uh, 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 but I think the main the main one at the moment is we are spending a huge amount of time helping big companies, corp- like global corporates, almost audit their their whole innovation ecosystem. So internally in terms of culture and people and leadership mm-hmm. processes but also externally in terms of the relationships they have and obviously on the subject of engagement there's there's an external engagement with suppliers and partners and startups and all that and one of the challenges with this whole subject is there is very very little control and management over this whole 
system in this whole ecosystem so we're spending a huge amount of time trying to help clients unpack all of the stuff they're doing in the name of innovation to figure out what's working and what isn't so and, and i think that's that's as a direct uh, result of the pandemic over the last 18 months serving as a real inflection point for many companies who thought they had that innovation muscle and when it really came down to it and they needed it they realized that muscle wasn't there and what was lying behind that problem i mean it, it's not one thing clearly it, it's a whole broad church of stuff right yeah it's it, i mean you can't oversimplify no. this subject it, it, it's impossible but if i try and if i try my best to simplify it although even in this simplification it, it's, a, it's a big answer <laughs> <laughs> um this is why I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> the organizational system that people are being asked to work inside of, most organizations have a system which is built up over years and years, decades of that organization being in existence. And that system is, is now layers on layers on layers of stuff and processes and values and beliefs and all of these things and management styles and leadership and all those things. Fundamentally, though, the majority of those systems aren't conducive with what it takes to innovate in terms right. of the behavior, the mindset, the engagement, culture. But so we're so organ, and I say we organizations are trying to force innovation through a system that just doesn't want innovation, right? Yeah. It's not built to innovate. Fundamentally, that's the problem. But in a short, simple answer, the problem is 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 enormous. Well, we have about thirty five minutes today to talk about this enormous problem, which I think is the fascinating thing, right? Let's focus. Yeah, let, let's drill it. Let's drill it in <laughs> a little it bit. <laughs> See if we can attack it a little bit. So, let's take a couple of steps steps back. I mean, I think is obvious. Maybe you think is obvious, but why is innovation needed so badly today? Do you know what? So, this is a really I I get asked this all the time and I I'm get sure. asked this by clients, right? And I, I'm almost I'm almost speechless that I'm even <laughs> being asked the question, right? Not by you, but but in general. It's it's sort of for me, it's like, well, isn't it obvious? It should be obvious, but seemingly it isn't. I think the, the best way to to sum it up is this. I'm sort of well known for for, for creating this uh, opposing view to the, the culture eat strategy for breakfast. Oh, uh, Mr. Drucker. Mine, right? So you know, Drucker's famous quote. And, and, I, and I think the best way to summarize it is Drucker was absolutely spot on, like nail on the head, but 15 years ago. Right. Pre-Layman Brothers, pre-2008, pre-crash, the world was more linear. It was more predictable. I'm not saying it was 100% linear and 100% predictable, but it was more linear. It was more predictable. And it was more traditional business, competing markets, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the world we live in now is without doubt non-linear, not, not nowhere near as predictable. We can run scenarios and things like that, but it's not as predictable. Therefore, we need a different approach. Yeah, The world has always innovated. So it's not that no one innovated, you know, in that the time frame I've just said pre two thousand eight, but innovation wasn't as important and wasn't as crucial in in terms of pushing organisations forward. 
So it's not that we've never needed to innovate. It's just that innovation now has become way, way, way more a bigger component of of how organizations enable themselves to compete and win. I mean, it is that compete and win piece, isn't it? I mean, and and that must be, from your perspective, the, I don't know what you would call it, the multiplying effect of the pandemic has just kind of ratcheted everything up, sped it up. We, you know, we are doing things quicker, faster, better, potentially than, than ever before. Certainly things, I mean, the time scale of stuff yeah. seems to have been the biggest dramatic change perhaps in, in this area. Yeah. And, uh, but I think but here's a look, you know, you you never want to look at something like a global pandemic and, mm. and trivialize it and say, well, every cloud has a silver lining no. kind of thing. But, <laughs> but, but because it, 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 you know, it's just been too devastating on multiple levels. But the reality is the byproduct of the pandemic has been a real wake up call for every organ, every, almost every person on the planet, but certainly every big corporate. And it has made them realize that they can do things at pace, mm. systemically, globally, in timeframes that they would never, ever, ever have even, you know, if you, can you imagine sitting down with, you know, I don't know, a global bank, right? I've been on the phone all morning to one of the global banks. I can't imagine in January last year, sitting them down and saying, do you know what, guys? Me and Dan, my partner, we think the best strategic move you could make is to send everyone home within 48 hours and tell everyone you're closing the office and we'll just all work from home. <laughs> We'd have been marched out of head office. <laughs> it's crazy. Right? right. And they would have gone, you're crazy. It's just not possible. And yet two months later, here we are. the impossible happened literally in that time frame. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think because they, because the burning platform was there. Yeah. 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 And before that, it wasn't, there was, there was no need there was no business imperative. There was just, it, it was just fantasy for anyone to even suggest that. The burning platform was became the catalyst for action. And I think what it showed, it certainly showed a lot of our clients that if they can now create that catalyst, or if they bring people like us in and we go, and we challenge them and say, well, 18 months ago, you didn't think you could do this. So now we're going to challenge you to do something else. Mm. And we shift the goalposts. And we really push them way, way, way further than they've ever thought of doing things before. And it's made many organizations realize that, you know what, we actually, this is, this is the art of the possible. We could actually do that. And Chris isn't mad, right? <laughs> actually, because if we pull that off, that's a game changer. So uh, the catalyst for me has been the clients we work with, we're now helping them create artificial burning platforms or hypothetical burning platforms to test them and see what they're actually capable of. Okay. Many of them, many of them are going, holy cow, I can't believe we've just done that in four weeks. And that's what's going to accelerate the, the growth and the development of a lot of corporates when they understand that they can do this through innovation. Right. So I think that's fascinating because I have this thing about winning needs witnesses. And so a lot of this stuff must come down to belief that things are possible. And the, the you know one of the best ways of having belief in something is seeing something happen, right? Proving, Valid, the, proving val the case. Validation, right? Yeah. So when we can validate through small experiments, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, we don't go into a client and go, right, we're going to turn you upside down and turn you on your head because we know it will work. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing things in business units with teams 
and we're demonstrating the validity of some of the things that we suggest, even though people look at it and go, well, how the hell are we going to pull that off? Like, that's such a stretch from how we work and how we have worked and what we think we're capable of. And we do it in small teams and we run experiments and uh, and you validate that these things are possible. Mm-hmm. What I've seen is more people believing that those things are possible because they've had such fundamental shifts over the last 18 months. They go, well, well, yeah, we, we did it last, we did this thing last year. So yeah, let, let's go for it. There's more of a willingness to explore mm. because they sort of know that the unknown isn't as scary as it was 18 months ago. That belief's a powerful thing, right? Yeah, very, very powerful. It's powerful in terms of your ability as an organization to engage people in pushing them out of their comfort zone or saying, do you know what? We used to take 18 months to design a new product. What if we could do it in six weeks? Do you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. and people go in, you're, cra- you're, you're absolutely crazy. We'll never be able to do it. And now there's a willingness to go, okay, let's try. Yeah, what's it going to take? That, that, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we should, we should dig into some of these foundations, but just for the benefit of, of listeners, and we're waxing on mm. about innovation. From your perspective, Chris, how do you define innovation? I split innovation down into um, what we did in the book was we split innovation down into four components. Yep. Um, and, I, and, and I've, look, I've got no issue with anyone's definition, whatever works for your organization by default works. But I think innovation has a set of components and what we did in the book and what we use with clients now is we use the definition and the four components as a sense check innovation for me can't just be a definition. It has to be a working thing that allows you to sense check whether what you're doing might end up being innovative. So on that point, the first thing to understand is um, innovation's an outcome. It's not a thing, right? Something is only innovative when you've designed it, got it to market, customers love it, and they literally, they're queuing up 200 deep in a store trying to get one. And they then, they then, as customers go, they validate the innovativeness. They say, this is amazing. This right, That's then innovative. We can't self-profess no. something is innovative as organizations. But when you unpack those things, you find that innovation for me has four components. The first thing is, is it new or different, right? So um, innovation, so when I put this into a sentence paragraph, innovation is the introduction of something new or different, yep. right? The, the second component then is, does it solve a problem, right? So it's the introduction of something new or different that solves a genuine pros- problem. The third component then is, it, for me, it must add value. Yeah. So it can't just solve the problem in a binary way. It must do more than that and be more than that. And if you look at things like value proposition design, you know, you have remove the pain, right? As part of that framework, remove the pain. So that solved the problem. And then what gain are you also going to give? That's give extra, right? So add value. So new and different, solve a genuine customer problem or personal problem, Um, uh, add value. And then the fourth bit is, and deliver a return for the creator. Right. Now I've specifically not there said ROI. 
right? Okay. So, a re- so, a, a re- so it's not fiscal all the time. So a return could be, we've come up with this great idea and it's going to get more bums on seats, yep. right? Now, down the line, that might generate some return. But the problem we had was not enough people through the door, unique solution, people through the door, right? It could very well be, well, you know, we want 10X, we want a billion dollars or whatever. But it's it's about adding a return for, for whoever's created it. And that return comes in many, many forms. It could be a brilliant idea by a HR director, super innovative, that drives employee engagement or, ta- or, or employee retention. Mm. So it's all it's all relative to, to the problem in the creator. So new and different, solve a problem, add value, create a return. And if you think of that as a framework, when you're going through your design process, you can constantly self-check, right? Stop the team, right? Is it still, do we still think it's unique, new or different? You know, is it intriguing? Are, are people going to look at this and go, ooh, what's that over there? That's different, yeah, yeah. right? Is it solving the problem? What's the added value? What, you know, what's our business model canvas? Where's the return? That should lead to something being innovative. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just minded. Are you familiar with that pinky dragons den in Germany example recently? Those guys who came up with a pink disposable glove to help, to help women with disposal of sanitary products, right? On dragons den in Germany, the guys got investment. And then yeah. social media just blew up with, quite rightly, people going, this is kind of an, an idea without a problem. You know, yeah. <laughs> women were going furious about, well, what, what's this for? We don't need this. We've been Since when have I needed a glove? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's a pink glove too. You know, come yeah. on. I mean, that's, to me, a really poor yeah. example of, oh, I've got this idea. Um, we're going to bring it to market. But it's got no problem to solve. It's, it's- Exactly that. And so the challenge around innovation is building that innovation muscle is is several fold. But the first thing is um, building the ability at an organizational level to find those problems and find problems faster than your competitors, be able to um, drill deeper down into those problem areas than your competitors. So you genuinely find uh, the deeper you go, you tend to find the problems more systemic and the problem is of a higher value. So the deeper, the more systemic, the higher value of the problem, and the faster you can get to that, the, the sooner you can start working on the solution before your competitors do. That's sort of the first premise of, of innovation. Okay. So when you're speaking to clients, businesses, and you're going in and you're mm. thinking about the foundations of mm. creating this innovative, creative culture, what does that what does that foundation look like? What is it you're trying to build? So if I if I go back to that Drucker quote, yeah, um, my my contemporary play on the Drucker quote is instead of culture eating strategy for breakfast, it's strategy, leadership, and culture need to eat breakfast together. Nice. So the framework that we use always starts with strategy. So the first thing we'll do with a client is we will. So we'll run an organizational assessment. So we have an innovation maturity model yep. that we run through the organization. That'll red flag all sorts of things that are wrong. That that gives us a really acute, pinpointed overview of the system. Our assessment has flagged six things in red. Um, those six things today demonstrably are a problem. Yep. That's what we start to fix. And while we're doing that, we start to build strategy. 
what's the innovation strategy? How does it link to the organization's growth strategy? You know, it's it's corporate strategy. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is this isn't about adding the word innovation into your standard strategy. <laughs> yeah. But it's a value. <laughs> and, 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 and believe me, I see it all the time, right? So let's take the strategy that we've had for the last 10 years, and now we're just going to put innovation in it 72 times, right? Um, um, to make everyone really understand that this is now an innovation strategy. Um, no, this is about building a proper innovation strategy with a proper innovation thesis and a very, very clear overview of how the organization is going to use innovation to deliver against this much more ambitious growth strategy. Once we build that strategy, um, that maps out leadership development, what tools and processes we need, what we need to do culturally. It maps out the scale of innovation. So do we need this much innovation or do we need this much innovation? And depending on what an organization needs to reach its goals, then depends on how much we have to do inside the organization. And I think when you're looking at responsibilities, I, I like this concept you've got of the framework of the own, drive, and contribute framework. ODC. Can, yeah, yeah, ODC. Can you explain that for people? Yeah. So what I've seen over the years is a really broad brush approach to innovation. And in my experience, what we want leaders to do, um, this all centers around middle managers and the permafrost, the frozen middle, whatever, <laughs> whatever, but whatever we want to unfairly label them, right? And and from my in my experience, middle managers don't freeze themselves. They don't get up in a morning and go, Do you know what? I'm going to be permafrost today, right? Um, and the phrase I use with senior teams is when they complain about middle managers. I say, look, if if your middle managers are the frozen middle, who's the cold north wind? You're right because they haven't they haven't frozen themselves. It's right? so either true, you, Chris. Yeah, so true. Either you have frozen them, right? Either you have frozen them in terms of your behaviour, your expectations, etc or the system that you're asking them to work inside has frozen them because you're asking them to do things like innovate in a system that isn't built for innovation. Right. So so that's what we have to redesign. So uh, own drive and contribute basically just sets out a really simple framework that says what we want what we want is leaders owning the innovation agenda. And I mean properly owning it. Soup to nuts absolute ownership of everything and there's three core components there's the physical assets so budget tools frameworks policies etc there's then mindset and behavior and capability and then on the right hand side there's psychological safety right now those three things need to be in place for leaders so imagine they have to own all of that but then secondly in the middle if we now want our middle managers driving innovation on a daily basis, uh, what tools and assets do they need? Because they're going to be different. Um, what mindset, behavior, and capability do they need? Because they will be different than the yeah. leaders. And what does psychological safety mean to them? And what kind of safety do they need to be able to say, I'm brave and I'm now going to do this. I'm going to drive this on a daily basis. And then you go down to employees. What we want employees to do is to contribute to the innovation agenda on a daily basis. What tools and frameworks, what assets do they need? Well, they need, they might need design thinking. They might need physical space. They might need uh, um, some software. They might need an enterprise idea management software. You know, what do they physically need yeah, yeah. so that they can go, yeah, there's, there's some idea challenges in the business. I'm going to contribute 
and I know how to do it. I know what the process is. I know where to submit my ideas. I've got some time and space because I've I've put my request into my my manager for you know one day every two weeks or, or whatever it is that I'm allocated to innovation. Whatever that system is, everyone knows how to navigate it. And those three components, the assets, the mindset and behavior, and the psychological safety, they're different at different layers of the organization because we want them performing different tasks. And in every transformation program around innovation I've seen, the consultancies that have been in and done it with the clients we've now gone into haven't done that. Mm. They've taken this broad brush. Here's what an innovation mindset is and here's here's tools. Well, the leadership team don't need to know the same things as your employees, right? We don't need to put leaders through design thinking programs per se. Yeah. They need to know what design thinking is, but uh, so but but you, so you can't do it as this broad brush thing. And that that's why we created ODC to show organizations and map out the different things we need to do with different people. And across those three areas of the the physical assets, the mindset capabilities and the psychological yeah. safety, whilst we're saying there's no broad brush, are there any commonalities any kind of like consistent uh, gaps that you're seeing when you walk in where where majority of people are sort of under par without question strategy like just with like absolutely without question the majority of clients we we work with do not have an innovation strategy they have innovation in their strategy right that's such um, a great definition of change yeah there. they um they they don't have tools and processes. Um, and that middle, we've literally just written a whole program for a new, a new client, which we kick off on Thursday, which uh, uh, internally we haven't branded. We always brand our interventions. So, so they, you know, they resonate in the organization. We haven't branded this yet, but internally the program's called the middle ground. Okay. And it's basically about, supercharging the middle of the organization, right? But I, I don't believe innovation's top down. I don't believe it's it's bottom up. I think it's middle out, right? That middle layer of the organization on that framework, the people that we want driving innovation on a daily basis, inspiring people, putting teams together, you know, galvanizing teams around certain problems, they reside in the middle of the organization. Um, and we're about to kick off a global program called the Middle Ground. We, like I said, we won't call it that for the people in the organisation. Sure, sure. Um, and I think that's where most organisations are stuck. That the organisation says it wants it. Here's the thing: we want innovation. It's really important. It's critical to the survival and the growth of our organisation. Right. So, as middle managers, we want you driving it on a daily basis. But don't forget to hit your targets by 5 p.m. on Friday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm, it's tongue in cheek, but people listening will go, mm, Chris is making a joke of it, but actually it, that's right. That system, we have to break that system. We have to completely hack that system and redesign a system that says, yes, the business, is, the wheels need to keep turning, but not at the expense of innovation. Right. We have to build parallel tracks where we keep the wheels turning. That's the cash cow. We keep paying the bills. We keep making money. But the future success of the business is determined by how much time we spend on building things for the future, 
product services experiences. And unless organizations are, are and it could be 70, 30, 70, 20, it doesn't matter what the ratio is, but there has to be a ratio. And most organizations are going, innovation is important, but we're still doing 100% on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why then, even with all the tools, mm. businesses still struggle to make it all work, right? System design. It's all very yeah. well saying, yes, we've got innovation in our in our strategy. We've got innovation as a culture buzzword or a value. Yeah. We've got culture, we've got innovation champs in our business. Why is it not yeah. working? What's going yeah. on? And and it is more fundamental. The business is because just it, not set up to take advantage of it. It's stuff that has been added on to the existing system. Yeah. And and I'm not saying you have to redesign everything in a business, but you have to redesign the parts of the the original system that are barriers to innovation that that get in the way of innovation. Um, and the and the challenge is most organisations don't redesign what exists; they bolt new stuff on and hope that it will work. And invariably, it doesn't. And if you were if you were trying to give them a single piece of advice on the system piece what would that be i mean it, it, this i'm 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 sure the benefit of you coming in is somebody to properly challenge right make someone have a good yeah. hard look at themselves and stop marking their own homework and saying yeah 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 we we we're good at this yeah and how do clients respond to that in the main i mean i would have thought favorably because they've got you in the first place right but <laughs> always an, it's not always an easy conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? I think <laughs> here's the here's the challenge. The and, and and this is a direct response to your question about the CEOs and the boards and the senior leadership teams that that would bring someone like me in. Leaders want what innovation delivers, but they are rarely prepared to do what it takes. Oh, that's the challenge. It's, right, they they see the fruits of wow innovation. I'm gonna do this, and you know we're gonna be a billion dollar business on all of that because they you know we want to be like Apple and all the silly sort of you know with the wish list, right? Yeah, but yeah. the reality is innovation can deliver those things, um, but you have to be prepared to change. You know you can't say we want innovation, but we want to do it in the same way as we've been working for the past twenty years. The fact that you want innovation is because the past 20 years of ways of working is no longer aligned and relevant for today. It's not going to allow you to compete or grow. Um, you have to be prepared to change. And most senior teams aren't prepared to change enough to, to capitalize on that investment in innovation. That's I, the big challenge. I think this is why the the, the fascinating meld of engagement and innovation they they come with great benefits but similar challenges in yeah. that people want to talk about engagement they want to have engaged employees but mm, sounds like a bit of a long hard game frankly and therefore now i'll focus on the short term right now get it going and you never end up building that muscle you never yeah. end up really changing an organization probably what what happens is and we've 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 got this with a client at the moment. What happens is, and there's 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 a challenge around narrative, right? As well around language. If you if you think about all the language that you've heard around innovation for the past decade, mm. we all know, and every employee knows, continuous improvement or incremental innovation, right? And stick that on the left hand side of the scale, 
right? And all organizations, pretty much every organization says, yeah, well, we're doing that. You know, we do loads of that all the time. Good, because that's the price of entry, right? You, you should be doing that, right? Yeah. And then all the language, Clayton Christensen, all the innovation gurus in the world, then and all the narrative all says, got to be radical, got to be disruptive, right? Yeah. And that's right at the other end of the scale. Of course, of course. So, so what happens is you get um, you get polarization, right? You get an organization saying, well, we're doing innovation. We've got loads of continuous improvement. And, and then they'll also say, a lot of our clients, until we really make them realize, they'll say, no, well, we're doing more than increments. We're doing loads of really great, cool stuff. <laughs> and when we unpack it and we, and we get them to rate it, filter it, they, they go, do you know what? Yeah, it's not really that much more than incremental, is it? I.e., none of it's shifting the needle. No. But what they've done on the other end of the scale is they've talked about being radical and being disruptive. And they've never, ever, ever done anything radical or anything disruptive. Right. Organizations are polarized at both ends of the scale. Um, so you, you get you get this plateau where nothing actually happens, right? Incremental doesn't shift the needle. The quest to be radical and disruptive never happens. Therefore, no innovation happens. Right. And again, a bit like the middle ground, like the ODC, it mm. happens in the middle. The real sweet spot for innovation is in the middle ground. So we call it differentiated innovation. We force clients to create a name of their own. But for the purposes of the model, we say what happens in the middle is how are you going to differentiate from your competitors? What are you going to offer your customers that is demonstrably and measurably different? So what you're looking for is on the left-hand side of the scale, hundred frequency of incremental and continuous, hundreds of things every year, small cost, almost no cost, small risk, almost no risk, small, almost no impact collectively a bit of impact right inside the scale um massively infrequent like maybe one every several years if you're lucky right huge cost huge risk but huge potential for growth right in the middle what you're looking for is what we call anywhere between 2x and 5x solutions so you're looking for um medium scale medium risk putting teams of people together to work on systemic customer human-centered problems, right? Medium risk, um, uh, um, but frequency, right? 20 or 30 of these every year. So not hundreds, not one, 20 or 30. Five of them might pay off, or five of them probably will pay off. But if you get five 2X solutions, that's the same as this quest for one 10X, one unicorn. Absolutely. Right? And it's 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 not difficult to build capability in that middle space, which which when you do the you know, when you do four or five, two or three X solutions, you know, so these are two X in terms of return, that's the equivalent of the unicorn that you spent years searching for and never found. Yeah. Um, and that's what organizations aren't doing. Brilliant, Chris. Um this is a conversation I could have all day. But I think we've come to the point in the show where if you could leave my audience with three sticky notes, Chris, yeah. to sort of say all these opportunities, challenges, gaps that businesses have got, if you were going to give them three bits of advice you could jot on a sticky note, what would they be, my friend? So this relates back to the strategy, leadership, and culture should eat breakfast together thing. Great. Right? The first thing's around strategy. 
purpose for me is about the pursuit of better, right? Purpose is about, I think we can do better. There's a better way we can create a better world. You know, we can solve this problem and, and create something better for everyone. Innovation's the same. Innovation says, well, this is what exists today. Through innovation, we can create a better thing, a better experience, a better world, whatever it is. So build an innovation strategy and combine innovation with purpose. So, so we call it purpose-led innovation, right? Yeah. Make every focus of your innovation efforts aligned to your organization's purpose. And if you haven't got that as an organization, question why and do something about it. The second thing around leadership, and this, I suppose, is specific to leaders in organizations, building that innovation capability or a culture of innovation is a, is a con, has to be a conscious leadership decision. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by default. It has to be a conscious leadership decision. You have to pursue building a culture of innovation. So that, that taps into that ownership thing we talked about. So ask yourself as a leader, are you consciously shaping the future or are you, are you subconsciously maintaining today? And if it's the last one, change your mindset and figure out how you can start to make decisions and consciously change things and shape the future. And then the third one is just a question around whether the processes, the systems and your culture is engaged enough to really help you deliver that future and when we talk about engagement engagement for me is where people are willing to do things differently so creativity for example is what i call a willing contribution you can't contractually make them be creative make them give them your ideas make them be passionate you have to create a culture and an environment where they willingly want to give you that extra bit of themselves, right? That willing contribution. So ask yourself whether you have a culture that embodies that willingness for people to be creative and take some risk. And if you don't, redesign it so that you get that. And with those three, you will almost guarantee that will help build your culture of innovation. Brilliant. I love the spirit of those those three sticky notes that that, that, that conjures up and uh, what a great place to work that would be if that if would be amazing it, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be brilliant? and we're getting there right you know there's many organizations on the planet that i'm not saying they've nailed all those but they are re- making real inroads into being you know purpose-led innovation right you know proper growth mindset you know you know purpose-led um, leadership, right? Empathy-driven leadership, um, and then proper cultures where people are willing and passionate about delivering against that purpose. We're getting there. Um, it just takes time. Well, it's lovely to talk to somebody who's as passionate about it as I am, and we we keep the faith, brother. We keep the mission going. Hey, brilliant. We do, Chris. Fantastic speech you today. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate. My that. pleasure. My pleasure. Take care, my friend. Okay, well, that was Chris Bezik. And if you would like to find out. A bit more about any of the things we've talked about today, please check out the show notes. So, that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, 
please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.